Toto. I have a feeling we're not in Kansas anymore. You're listening to Out of Odds, a podcast from Building 28 Church. Welcome back to Out of Oz, a Building 28 church podcast where we confront the fantasies and fallacies of modern day Christianity, Christian culture with compassion, conviction, and courage. My no, name is Deshaun. You're already nervous. Hey, you're already nervous. nervous. <laughs> <laughs> it's not the nerves. Listen, I haven't hosted in a little bit. It's been a little, it's been a little while. So my name is Deshaun. I'm one of the pastors here at Building 28 Church. Today we have two guests that you guys are no stranger to. I'll allow Mr. Powell to introduce himself first. Oh, Oh man, wow. introduce yourself. What Peter never say? gives you the courtesy. No, he does. You give me. I don't hey, know it's, what it's, it's, it's a different right kind of host. A different kind of hosting. Oh goodness. Here, how about, I, here, how about this? I'll introduce him and he'll introduce me. Deal. <laughs> um, this is this is my. Uh, I call him the Tolkien to my Lewis. Like this is my uh, pastor Hobbit friend over here, Bilbo Baggins, <laughs> and uh, we call him Superpowers. But we're still trying to figure out what that power is. So uh, he's a, a pastor of Sunrise Community Church. <laughs> That's me. That's <laughs> big me. big proponent of pedo baptism, but we forgive him for That's that. <laughs> Oh there you go. That's your well, introduction. Let me introduce this right here right now. This is the Lewis to my Tolkien. You're, you're about to Will Smith me, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> I'm out. We're done. You know Aaron. You know me. Let's get started. We're done. Oh, we're done. Let's, let's do this. I'm Treebeard, right? Oh, I love it. Yeah. Oh, man. All right. Enough of that. Oh, so yeah, the so topic. What are we today? doing today? What are we talking the about? Today? What are we talking about? What this is what got topic. this is what has gotten Deshaun all flustered Not on flustered. the podcast today. So uh, I'm a man trapped in a woman's body has in the past decade become a statement of not only individual preference, but of widespread scientific, in some circles, and social acceptance, the denial of which is now labeled by many as bigoted hate speech. The transgender movement is dominating many various spheres from politics to women's sports to family dynamics and so on. And with this issue rapidly building, the question we are faced with as believers in Christ Jesus, followers of Christ, is this, what does the Bible actually have to say about gender? It's a very important question because some Christians, even well-intentioned Christians are going, well, it doesn't say that much about gender. Uh, you know, it's it's a totally separate issue, which I do believe it is in many ways separated from homosexuality. And so, but how we confront this and how we deal with this ties back to so many critical components and issues within Christianity and within culture today. So to help us answer this, we have Bilbo and we got Boogie. So take your way, Boogie. I like it. I That's good. <laughs> so let's start off with defining terms, which is always good in any kind of conversation, because as we were talking about before the podcast, I grew up at a time where the term sex and gender were just interchangeable. I didn't think of any difference between them, but obviously today there's a big difference for people when having this conversation. So for you guys, what are some key terms that you think are helpful to understand before we jump into this topic? So I think it's important to understand that what Deshaun just said is the historical, biological, scientific way of understanding things, that sex and gender are interchangeable. It's only been in the last, I mean, you might call it two decades, but probably far less than that, that gender- the 60s, I'd say. Gender has become a cognitive mental issue between your ears, and sex is your anatomy. And so that those don't have to align necessarily. I disagree with that. Yep. Not, not a scientist. I don't think you need to be to disagree with that. But uh, that is how people would understand it now in many circles is that how I was loosely, if you want to use the word created, how I came to be is the sex I was kind of born with. You wouldn't even say assigned with because if you don't believe in intelligent design, then you weren't assigned with anything. You just kind of came out with a sexual I won't say orientation, uh, uh, sexuality, but as far as your gender goes, there could be something different going on in your head that where you have a dysphoria, you have a confusion about that, you have a, a fluidity mm -hmm. about that. And so that your gender might not be, for many people, is not as clear cut as your sex. That is how some people talk about it. I've, I've heard people talk about it in a different way, kind of like what, what you were saying. We grew up in a culture where sex and gender were pretty much synonymous mm -hmm. in their meanings and implications. 
um, there's still some, even in the transgender activist community, where they're evangelistic about these things and spreading this belief around the world, that those two are still the same thing, but they're no longer, like there's not the distinction between sex and gender. All of it is now not, because of the elevation of personal freedom, sex and gender is no longer anything, has anything to do with what happened when we were born, but it has everything to do with what we decide and desire ourselves to be. And what we think we are, therefore, that's what I am. Yeah. Some people separate them, like Aaron said. Some people don't and still keep them together and just leave it all to personal choice later on and go even a step further and say that to deny such personal choice is the same thing as child abuse. Yeah. So as both you guys are kind of defining and as you both were saying, where for some it's this way, for some it's a different way. And obviously this is a conversation, a topic that none of us are new to. It's prevalent. It's everywhere. There's all kinds of different debates that are happening about it. And so for us as Christians wondering, all right, why is this so important for us to be prepared for this? Why do we need to be on guard or understand what's going on in this conversation Mm. as believers? More than anything else, the truth is at stake. I mean, you could talk about the that no man is an island, so our kids are not on an island. They're mm-hmm. gonna, they grow up in a culture that, um, as much as we might try to guide them or even protect them, they are going to be subjected to cultural norms and the way of thinking mm-hmm. uh, through film, which is already happening big time, um, mostly subtly, but at times overtly, and through literature and propaganda and advertisements and everything else. So we talked about that. We talked about a lot of things, but really it's a matter of truth and God's truth, with all truth being God's truth. We've talked about that. That's a mm. a very Wheaton-esque thing, but like it's true. Like it's every truth that exists in the world, every scientific truth comes back to God's truth. I loved how, and I might have mentioned this on the podcast already, but recently when Peterson was on Rogan and he talked about the Bible is not just true, it's the basis of all that is true. Mm. That is That is such a substantial and legitimate claim because the scriptural principles undergird everything that works and everything that is verifiable in society that while it might not specifically speak to them, we can trace back the origin and the standard of these things to scripture. And so for me, when we talk about this, we're talking about truth. Like we're talking about the Imago Dei being created in God's image, male and female, man and woman. Look, as you look throughout history, lies have always, from the very first, from the very first, the very first lie that we know of, you shall not surely die. Mm-hmm. Lies have caused the carnage and catastrophe that we see upon the world. Battles fought, lives lost, Roe v. Wade lie. You know, just go on and on these lies that have so damaged. Uh, we just did a podcast on, um, before this with Pete, on how everything we do stems from a philosophy that we've accepted, uh, ideological belief. So lies that even seem harmless or a white lie have far-reaching devastating consequences. So when we begin to accept Mm -hmm. mistruths as true, and we begin to malign, marginalize, demean anyone who disagrees with that mistruth, we're on very dangerous ground historically and uh, logically. Like we just, we're losing the battle there. And so I think truth is... Very important. And people would, people would argue this in a lot of realms today. Um, politically, people are becoming increasingly disenchanted with maybe not the the right or the left, Democrat, Republican, as much as they are with, I can't trust these people. I can't trust any of them. Like, how do I know what is true anymore? How do I know what's true medically anymore? Is the vax really good or is it not good or am I being lied to? Is it, like we would, we would look out at the realm of life as we know it. We were even talking, trying to joke from before this episode, just the Oscars just took place a couple nights ago. And, you know, di- different people at this table and different people recording us right now have different <laughs> opinions on whether that was staged, what happened with Will Smith and Chris Rock or whether it wasn't. And the, the issue is, is all of us kind of came down on this going, well, I'm about 90% sure. 50, well, yeah. None of us are 100% sure. We don't know. Like, we don't know what the truth is. And so because there have been so many lies told in society today, and that's, that's kind of small potatoes, what happened at the Oscars, but it just kind of points to a bigger issue of people believe lies in order to 
I mean, greed is really at the heart of it with so much in order to drive up sales of whatever the product is or convince people so they'll vote a certain way. So truth is at stake. And that's what we're fighting for in all these things. God's truth. So truth's at stake. And when truth is at stake, we should care about it. Yeah. I mean, we're, we're pastors, all of us. We lead churches where Christians and we ourselves live in a culture that is now calling good evil and evil good. This is the essence of what sin is. We might have never thought we'd reach the day, but it's now incredibly polarized. It'll get you canceled on, on social media, maybe even YouTube, to say <laughs> that there are only two genders, male and female. And that that's not only true, but God said this is very good. Yeah. This matters so much, this conversation, not only because we're encountering it, but because the culture that is in that is speaking into this, the one that which we live in is now saying what God called very good, we are now saying is the essence of evil. Hmm. And to say that it's good puts you automatically in a camp. The world almost sees you as you're you're living in a little house on the prairie still and not with the modern world. <laughs> that's that's kind of how I think the world views us on this yep. issue, right? No, it, it is, but like the statements and declaration of gender took place pre-fall. Here's the thing. Uh, it can be it can come across like really cold or callous in my approach to this, which truth does. It's very like it's very cut and dry. Like something's true, something's not. At the same time, I can understand. Well, I've never dealt with this. I can understand how people have gender dysphoria, gender identity crisis. Just like I understand that I have, I have. We all have misperceptions about ourselves, and those misperceptions, while they're very powerful, do not stand as true right? They just don't stand as true. Mm -hmm. Like I can think a certain way about myself all day. Um, I can think that I am the best driver in Pinellas County. Okay. I think you're the basketball player. That doesn't, or the best basketball. <laughs> I could think, okay, yeah, let's, let's say that. Cause me and Sean joked about that for years and he's never played me still. But I've been saying for years that I could beat Deshaun in one-on-one. Now look, here's the deal. Reality, reality, because I'm self-aware, at least in this, I wouldn't win. But <laughs> Uh, now it's on the record. At least he's put but, it on the record. But, but we haven't played. But I could believe that I would win, yeah. but that's not reality. Like believing something about myself, believing that at 42, I'm in the same shape that I was in at 23 is not reality. And what has happened is the fall has brought about, the fall of, of humanity, original sin, has brought about a disorientation in our minds where we believe not only external lies that have been fed to us, but believe, we believe internal manufacturing that we are more or less than we actually are, yep. that we are not valuable, not consequential when we actually are because we're image bearers of God, or that we believe, you know, we're more talented or more important or more the center of the universe than, than we actually are um, because we're narcissistic. But none of those things stand as true. Like I, I used to use this example where I would, you know, it's very simplistic. So for the intellects here, hang with me. But, you know, I would, um, I've used it a couple of times here in church where I'll have like three or four different sports balls kind of lined up there, basketball and softball. And, and then I'll say, Hey, what's this? And people will of course respond to softball, softball, softball. And I'll say, what's this? And I'll, and they'll say a basketball. And they're like, no, 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 it's not a basketball for today. We're pretending it's a softball. Okay. You got, everybody got that. So what's this softball, 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 what's this softball. And I'm like, no, it's not. Cause it doesn't matter what we're pretending it is. It doesn't change the reality that's a basketball still, yeah. right? Very simplistic. But us pretending or us being self-deceived into thinking something, anything, does not make that true. And so I sympathize in that the fall and sin in a broken world has caused all type of angst to go on in all of us, and specifically the transgender community, for a thought process to have entered their mind that for them is true, but that doesn't, we can't verify it as true just because it's entered somebody's mind as true. Yeah. And so what I want to add into this, of, as you were talking about transgender community and more the community at large, but I think of being able to work with our teens 
is it is hitting them very hard at this moment where so many of them, because of things that they would not have been aware of before we didn't grow up with, of even just having a knowledge of, oh, there's an idea of all these different terms and gender dysphoria and things along that lines. But because these are introduced to them and not only introduced to them, but there's other people in their age group who affirm this and say, this is how I am and or this is why I'm projecting to be. And so for a lot of the teens that I work with, they're wrestling with gender issues and they're wrestling through of, are they really a man? Are they really a woman? Do they have this type of attraction or things along that lines? And so I think that's one of the big reasons for us as believers to be prepared is because we have a ton of kids who are wrestling through sexual identity issues because it's so prevalent. For and them. I think that's that's look, I'm not like a hot, wildly empathetic person, you know, and so it's probably not a shocker to people who watch us regularly. But I, I want to be empathetic to the fact that some dudes are born with more of a care-based mentality, maybe even more feminine attributes about them, disposition, mm-hmm. some some women, you know, you could argue one out of eight, one out of 12, probably at the very least are born um, with some masculine tendencies, if not full-blown, aggressive, you know, typically associated with masculinity. And while we can identify that, and you could even say, um, just why I say they're separate. You could even say that a guy who has sexual feelings, and we've already done a, an episode on homosexuality, but a guy who has sexual feelings toward same sex attraction, well, you might even say, okay, those feelings, while we have a certain stance here biblically of them concerning them being sin, while those feelings are legitimate and that he actually feels them, none of that, uh, his feelings for the same gender, uh, his uh, maybe more feminine tendencies, disposition, attitude, mindset, caring, none of that changes his biological makeup. None of that makes him a, a woman. So he might have more womanly tendencies or a woman might have more manly tendencies, but that doesn't make her fluid or it doesn't make her not a woman. I mean, Adam brought up in the research that has been, a lot of research been conducted, but that it's such a it is such a neurological issue that even when the when such change is done, oftentimes that doesn't correct the issue. It mm-hmm. doesn't set it straight for them because there's leads some, to all sorts of other levels yes, of depression. There's and something that's going on, yes, and things like this. So now that we've talked about, all right, we should be prepared as Christians and some of the reasons that you guys gave, and one of the main things that's brought up in that is how should we respond? How should we answer back? in the heart and mindset of it. And so the word that is thrown out there the most often is in love. And so as that word is used and tossed to and fro, how is love, the way that we're talking about it culturally, how is it not the answer, but on the flip side of it, when we do get to define it biblically, um, how is love actually the answer? So as this debate is happening and going on and the word love is used in it, how is it misused and then how should we actually properly use it when addressing this conversation? I think there's four things, maybe five things that come to mind. And if just if oh, I don't know if we've ever done this before, we've recommended resources, but this is a very helpful book right here. Gender Ideology, What Christians Need to Know um, by Sharon James. Very short and concise book, but very keeps it very simple. What could be a very complicated issue that's dissertation upon dissertation mm-hmm. upon these things. Uh, very helpful from the Christian's perspective. This author says there are a few things we need to keep in mind regarding your question. Mm -hmm. First, love looks like acknowledging, and this is something of what you even just said, Aaron, gender confusion involves deep unhappiness. And so there's before correction comes, right? Because we affirm Genesis 1. We affirm what the Bible says about male and female, about how both of these only two genders are fully adequate in their representation of the image of God. It's not like males better than female, females better than female. Both were made in the image of God. And there's something about maleness that we don't get the full image of God in that femaleness contributes to and vice versa. And so there needs to be a understanding of gender confusion involving deep unhappiness where because we live in a fallen world, these things will happen to us with the rise and triumph of the modern self, Carl Truman's book <laughs> yeah. that you got there. And there's a, a Strange New World, a, an abbreviated version of that book that's now coming out next month. We, we need to understand that this 
is a real issue for many people. The next thing we need to understand is that we should treat everybody with kindness and respect, this person says, but that real kindness means believing and telling them the truth. Well, what is the truth? We cannot, even if we have surgery to reassign gender, we can never change sex. We either are male or female. And so uh, that's just the introduction, I think, to this book, but it gets at some of the issues that we need to understand and remember and what loving somebody in this struggle looks like. It doesn't look like antagonistically beating them down. Well, I don't know. Hold on. Maybe there's two different camps we can respond to here. If the person is a transgender activist and they're evangelistic about transgenderism Mm -hmm. or cisgenderism, things like this, all these new different terms that are coming out these days, they need our correction. They need our correction in gentleness, but firm conviction. If the person is something that you were talking about, a struggling person with gender dysphoria, they not only need correction, they need our compassion. And discipleship is the answer here, not surgery. So that that that's what I would say. There's a lot there. It's certainly it's a convoluted issue. And whenever you get into mentality, mental health, neurology, like it becomes convoluted. Um, there's a book I finished a couple of weeks ago. Deshaun, I think, is going through right now. It's called mm-hmm. After Virtue. It was printed and published in 1981. Uh, it's on moral philosophy, and it really talks about from 40 years ago, the shifting platforms is something that if you're interested in this, Christian, non-Christian, wherever you are, I mean, this is going to be an increasing issue that we're going to keep talking about in the coming years. So I would encourage you to read that. And then probably the best one, Adam just mentioned it, I pulled it up here, but it's the rise and triumph of the modern self. Deshaun kind of turned me on to it back in uh, oh, so January good. this year so good. And, uh, and read through that. And really what Truman's doing there is he's arguing through that really with one skin, we've talked about a lot on this podcast, but with the Enlightenment and with certain philosophers who began to emerge like Nietzsche and Marx and Freud and others, this idea of radical individualism began to rise. And that's really where we're at with like prior to that point in time, historically, like we had kind of submitted ourselves to a we were not the measure of all things. We, I, I didn't have the bandwidth intellectually. We, none of us did, to know all that there is. And so I would submit myself to myself to a a traditional way of thought, which typically tied itself back once again to scripture, um, to Christian principles, and that what is right and wrong. And then suddenly it became, well, what I feel is right and wrong, or what my head tells me is right and wrong regardless of what other people say, that's what actually is. And that's what has led us to, through the whole sexual revolution, to where we are today, to where kids are now going, I don't know who I am anymore, because science, true science can't dictate this. And of course, biblical principles can't dictate this. And history can't dictate this. Logic can't dictate this. I have to dictate this. Mm -hmm. I have to dictate what is right and wrong, true and false for me now. Instead of, and so many people are afraid of offending sensibilities. There's going to go, well, I don't want to like disrupt Deshaun and like, you know, he's in a fragile state. So I'll just tell him whatever he believes about himself is true instead of, hey, this is what actual truth is. Sadly, in this discussion, when gender dysphoria has gone on, there are innumerable accounts of parents in our day who have been told by various counselors or therapists, if you keep pushing back on your daughter wanting to become a boy, mm-hmm. she's no, going to commit suicide. Yeah. And That's because it. of fear of having, of no longer having a daughter, they start to become okay with the idea of having a son, yep. a happy son rather than a suicidal daughter. And th- this is fear-based therapy. And yeah. th- this is this is what's being peddled out there. Look, okay, let me let me, let me frame it this way. This is this is a atrocious example, okay? Because I would loathe for this ever to happen. But let's say that I woke up in the middle of the night, heard something in my house, or you can put yourself in this situation. You hear something in your house. You guys hear something in your house, and you start scoping out. You walk in your bedroom, and there is a predator who's in the bedroom of your child, and they turn and they look at you and they say, "What I'm about to do is loving." Their definition of love. And in that moment, your definition of love 
are completely different. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm going to act out in aggression because I love my child. And I would argue any, any parents, any, any, yeah, any parent would. Protection, yeah. love. That is a more intellectual, historic, philosophical answer of what love is than for me to go, oh, man, you know, like, uh, yeah, I guess, like, because this is love for you and I don't want to, like, violate that semblance of love. Now, I understand the, the – I say atrocious because, you know, I will say that within this argument, um, at least the activist I have talked to will say, well, you can't harm somebody else by your love. So like the predator saying, I'm going to enact love upon a child, that'd be harm for the child. However, the argument I would push back with is you are causing, according to countless research and data, you're causing irreparable harm upon the person that you say you're loving by allowing them to continue down or encouraging them to continue down a track that is damaging and destructive. So our definition, love is the answer when it is properly defined. When intervention is on the table, when speaking truth in kindness on the table, love is not the answer. If it's a stupid, blind affirmation of all things, because whether it's children or adults, we change our minds daily. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like what we want, our appetites, our lust, our desires change daily. And there have been many examples now that could be pointed to where someone believes they are a certain gender. They were not born into, if you can call it that, goes through the entire hormone transition, um, sexual transition, and then is like, nope, I'm I'm coming back from that. It's not the answer. And living with consequences of no longer having specific anatomy any, any longer. It is not hate speech to say, we love you too much to allow you to believe a lie that is against God's created order in God's decree, Genesis one twenty seven of male and female in his image and likeness. So let's actually jump into that on what yeah. does the scripture say? Because obviously all three of us are pastors. We believe our final authority is from God's word. The reason why we can say this is right or wrong is because of what God's word says. And often people, when they're going through this debate, they feel like, oh, it's just more culturally based. That's how you guys are defining gender or male and female and things along that lines. But for us as pastors and for the believers who are listening to this or just people who just want to know what do Christians think, and in particular, the Bible, what do you guys understand or believe the Bible teaches when it comes to this topic of gender? From the get-go, pre-fall, before the world fell into sin, Genesis 1 clearly tells us in Genesis 1:27, so God created man in his own image. Notice man is used as a all-encompassing term, and then it defines what this means, in the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. So mankind is the all-encompassing term, and that means the image bearers are male and female. This is it. This is all the genders are. We are from conception, either a man or a woman. That's not what it says. It doesn't say male or female. And. (laughs) But honestly, that is an argument that comes about. Oh, yeah. That, that is an argument that has been presented that I've heard is it says male and female. You should have some of both within you. Um, you should go from one to the other because it doesn't say male or female. Well, we, but, we should say that there, there are the very small percentage of, of births in a fallen world as a consequence of a fallen world where some children are born with both parts, both anatomies present, Mm -hmm. and the parents at that time have to make a decision, which is a consequence of the fall. Yes, that is a consequence of living in a broken world, just like any birth abnormalities, health defects. Uh, My my daughter was born with a congenital heart defect. All of that, we would would say, is a result of living in a broken world, a world that has been fractured in a catastrophic way due to sin. Um, Not the individual sin of the parent who's giving birth to this baby, no. but the, the overarching sin of all of humanity from Adam and Eve. So yeah. that's really important. Um, so a linguistic analysis, almost any scholar will conclude this because it is incredibly difficult to make a sane argument for transgenderism from scripture. And so a linguistic analysis of Genesis 127, everyone would come down saying it is clear here that that is binary. That there's not a fluidity to that. It is mm-hmm. it is male and female, or very aptly to be translated male 
or female. It, it is not a fluidity or a dysphoria between the two. And so that has to be looked like if we're going to argue this and talk through this, we have to do it from some level. I mean, I, I know once again, we're living in this day and none more so than in this issue of redefinition. So when I even when I start to say we got to argue from some level of intelligence, logic and scholasticism, even that could be like, well, why? Because I can just argue from whatever's in my we're head. We're all past that these yeah, days. Yeah, we're past that. Like, we don't need a standard to argue from. But I would say if we're going to have rational conversation, like, we have to have a standard to argue from. And so we can't, even though Christians have been famous for doing it for years, we can't make the Bible say what it doesn't say. Well, yeah. which is which is why the majority, like 99% of this community that's pushing the transgender agenda has left the Bible behind because what it says is crystal clear. What's incredibly sad, that if, if that's not sad enough, what's incredibly sad is the very small percentage of Christians, self-proclaimed Christians, perhaps, and church leaders and denominational heads and things like this, who are using, not Genesis, but some have gone to Galatians chapter three oh, at the end. Yeah. And they said, in Christ, there is neither male nor female. Mm -hmm. And let's see, there's the answer right there. And we want to say, well, what you just quoted is the remedy to the fall. In Christ, both male and female find what they're lacking. The remedy is Christ, not surgery. Mm -hmm. It's discipleship, not a rearrangement of anatomy. According to that, and this is this is a money trail, but I like hopping down those sometimes. Uh, <laughs> what? Uh, this is a money trail. Um, but according to that argument, that Galatians 3 that in Christ, that there's no male mm -hmm. or female, would that mean there's also no black or white, African, yep. American? Because it goes on to say that there's yep. no slaver, slaver Jew, slaver Jew, barbarian, there, Scythian. There, yeah, there's, there's yeah. nothing, there's no distinction now. Right. So the very argument that they're trying to use for transgenderism would collapse their argumentation of how much we should be divided across nationality, ethnicity, right. race. It's just, it's just once again, the logic begins to implode. And what Paul is clearly saying there, in case you run into some of this argument, is that these secondary factors, which are still true, that there is nationality, that there is, you know, there is ethnicity. ethnicity. It's, true. It's, it's there, like that there is gender. All these things are true and they should be celebrated in their own right. I mean, now you could argue that slavery, it says slave and free, that Slavery shouldn't be celebrated, and that's for another discussion. That's right. fine. But the whole point is, is that none of that matters. There's not a socioeconomics within the bride of Christ, within the body of Christ. There's not black, white, male, female in the sense of that one of them is more critically important than another. The ground than is level, level, the ground is level the there. The that's all that Paul has. He's been arguing right. it. That's why context, when we're talking about linguistics and hermeneutics, context super important because we can't just rip stuff out. And make it say whatever we want once again. Right, because the back half of Ephesians 2, Paul will use some of these differing ethnic categories to make his point, upholding that there are actual distinctions among people. Yeah. Where in Galatians, the context of the Judaizers trying to put themselves above the rest of the people, Paul's going to come lay them low by le leveling the ground at the foot of the cross. And so, yeah, we we can't ignore and cherry pick what we desire to fuel just what we want to do. So I have, I have a question then, because um, I've heard people use this argument on the flip side of that, that the Bible's misused within this argumentation. So they'll say gender is more culturally based. So for example, oh, yeah. your son wearing a dress is just more culturally accepted that he's not supposed to do that. And so when people try to use the Bible in the way they're misusing it. So what do you guys say to things like that? Or is there stuff you're seeing where people are misusing the scriptures on the side of, you know, trying to argue for, or sorry, against what's going on in the culture pertaining to gender? Have you seen the Bible misused in those arguments? And to that question of, is this more culturally based when it comes to dress or fingernail, or like you were saying before of, a girl that wants to be more athletic and outside and the guy who wants to be more inside, spend time with his mom type of things. Well, that's that's just goes right right along with what the argument and the ideology has begun with. As soon as you start going down this road, you eventually have to make the cultural argument and say, this is not an inherent truth that's true for all men, regardless of what time you live in, what culture you're in. But no, gender is just socially constructed 
And we live in a time where boys like blue, girls like pink. And so if you like pink and you're a boy, you must have therefore been a girl and you've got the wrong gender. You need to be assigned and affirmed in what you're thinking because we don't want to push back and cause all kinds of harm on you. All this, things like this. We want to be clear that while there are cultural implications for this and cultures do change throughout history and values do change, the scriptures never change and they automatically and always stand fast and say what is true despite what the culture says. And so it's really a question for Christians in our churches is, are we going to be more informed by the scripture on this issue or the cultural's culture's belief on this? Behavior does not define identity. Well, it shouldn't. So what I mean is how someone acts. So if we were living in the highlands right now, we'd probably be sitting here in kilts maybe. I don't know. Right. Uh, if, we were, if we were living a few hundred years ago, we might be in clothed in robes, dresses, so to speak. Powdered wigs. Yeah. <laughs> powdered wigs. Like um, how we dress. Or dirty how, hoods if we're peasants. How we dress, how we behave, what we like does not identify us, doesn't define us. And once again, any thinking person would say that. that that's the thing is just within Christianity, outside Christianity, we've just checked our minds today. So um, somehow we've come down to... Like LeBron James, we would say, is a basketball player. That's his identity. But that's not his true identity. No. Like that's not what he does is not his true identity. No. Like his true identity is an image bearer of God. Like he's an he's made in the Imago Day. And from everything I can tell, he's not a follower of Christ. So like he's outside of Christ. But our identity comes into all of us, all humanity are made in the image of God. And then we are either part of his family, sons and daughters. Those are our primary identification. We talked about this way back in season one, social justice podcast. No. And we talked about CRT as well. And we talked mm -hmm. about critical race theory. So we have to keep that in mind that like what we do is not our culture has bought into once again, since the enlightenment, if you're unfamiliar with it, like you should study the enlightenment because since the enlightenment, our culture has bought into what I do is who I am. But that is not a historic, it's not a biblical way, it's not a logical way to think through who I am, who I actually, what I do might exemplify or reveal what I am, but it doesn't define who I am. Big difference in those two things. Yeah. And so I think that that's, those are important conversations that we need to have. Also, there's one other conversation where people will say, what we see is we see gender fluidity within the Godhead in eternity past. You know, we've heard uh, that. Because we see, we, see, we see behaviors. We see more feminine attributes. Once again... The Greek God, word for the Holy Spirit is neuter, not yeah, male yeah, nor feminine. It's not male or female. Okay. <laughs> and, or even, even in God's love for there's certain caring attributes that have been at least culturally God is in our to day. a father in, I, in Isaiah yes. 40 to 50. But he's not a man. I'm sorry, a mother. He's not a man. Jesus right. was a man in flesh. But what we're doing is we're talking according to his created order. So God defines God, even for God, what he does, his behavior and his passions and his glory and his lights doesn't define him, so to speak. He defines him. His identity he is, is what, what defines is. him. He is what he is. But just because he exemplifies what we would deem to be more feminine characteristics at times doesn't mean that there's a gender is a beautiful concept created by God within the framework of time and God exists outside of that as a supernatural being. And so for us looking at that and saying we try to find dysphoria or uh, fluidity in the Godhead, once again, it's just rationally inconsistent. Yep. So let's go back to something you guys were talking about from before of talking to people who are actually either struggling with some dysphoria or on the flip side, you said the transgender activists um, to more of that practical side. So what if this hypothetical situation, somebody listeners probably actually have this situation where they know somebody who is transitioned, whether young or old, and they're identifying something that's different from their birth sex, whichever side it is. What's your advice to them of having that conversation? Should they acknowledge and affirm it? Should they not say anything? How do you guys encourage or um, just give people advice on how to actually interact with someone they know who is transgender? I think we've said, and we can say again here, passivity is not the answer because there's a real struggle here. Affirmation is not the answer because the struggle is very sinful. Identity politics is not the answer. That's true. Mm -hmm. 
It's not it's not winning somebody over to the Republican Party no, or conservatism not at, at all. as it just stands politically. As so, it stands now, yeah. which there might be a shift in the future. Some of that's well, <laughs> that, that might be another conversation. <laughs> but what what I would encourage people to do is aim for the heart of the issue. Because at the heart of this issue, there's a lot of hurt. There's a lot of confusion. There's a lot of despair, a lot of discouragement really surrounded in the idea, I am not what I ought to be, feel I should be, mm -hmm. desire that I should be. And part of that is true with every single every human person. on earth yeah. that's ever existed because we are sinners. And yeah. therefore, we ought to face the lack and the inability in us with honesty and while that can lead to despair, if we don't look to Christ, the answer is not just lean into the heart issue and let the person try to explain this, to dive into this, and you really try to hear this, but point this person to Christ because Christ is the only one who can fill this, this hole and inability in a person. The gospel is always the answer. Sin is always the problem. I mean... Uh... It's something different, and it's really hard to broad brush this because I could have two or three or dozen different individuals time. struggling with Look, thoughts case regarding case. transgenderism, so, so, and, I, I, and they're I, all be so different. And I want to recognize that, you know, yeah. like, which we all do. So let's let's give a more concrete type of example. Let's say mm. somebody obviously walks into the church and looking at them, they look like a man, right? And you find out that this person is identifying now as a female and wants to be called she, wants to be able to do things like ladies Bible study, things along that lines. How do you respond to that situation? That actually happened um, at a church in New Brunswick that we used to go to uh, every summer. My dad's a traveling preacher. And uh, they had a woman come in and they said that she had masculine look and tendencies. But I mean, like we've already talked about, you know, that exists with women and with men. Mm -hmm. um, and very sweet, uh, seemingly astute in the word. And as time went by over the course of a month or so, they found out that it was a man who had transitioned to womanhood. And those are very like, those are tough, nuanced conversations to take place. You know, I don't, I, I, I honestly, I, I'm not like, I'm not really like prone to cowardice. So I don't mind saying that like that wouldn't, we would approach that individual in, I think they would not discern it to be love and compassion, but for the sake of truth and for the sake of the children in our care, even though that individual might have no, I mean, I'm not, by no means, I hope nobody would take and twist my words in saying that every person who's struggling with gender dysphoria or gender identity or transgenderism thoughts is somehow like, you know, involved in pedophilia or like, not, not at all, all. like not, not at all. all, but for the sake of our children here for the sake of our women and for our men, for the sake of once again, truth being made in the image of God, male and female, we'd want to help that person, disciple that person, counsel that person. We would probably at Building 28 permit them. I, I can't see why we wouldn't permit them to come to our gatherings and oh, yeah. to hear the truth. Mm -hmm. um, we're not going to isolate them and ostracize them in that way, but to permit them into membership into service with the church, into representation of the church and the gospel. Um, those are much more nuanced conversations. And as long as they hold to transgenderism, which we would just say, to be fair, as long as they ardently hold to any transgression lifestyle, living with their boyfriend or girlfriend, sleeping with their boyfriend or girlfriend, known, uh, obviously people join the church and we don't know that there's infidelity going on, right. but um, unrepentant pride, unrepentant gossip that are known as a gossip and slander. Obviously, there's more nuance and ambiguity to some of these arguments, but any sin that they're saying, hey, I'm like, sinners are welcome, active, habitual sinners are welcome to the doors of the church on Thursdays and Sundays into the life of the family, the covenant community, uh, into service and representation of the gospel. That is a completely different issue. And I think the church has to safeguard the entryway to the family while opening the doors to the gathering. That's good. That's a good answer. How about for you, Ed? I'd, I'd say much the same. Um, I, I'd probably be more inclined to gently but firmly request that the individual no longer attend the specific, if, if they're truly a man, to no longer attend the women's Bible study, mm -hmm. but to attend the man's 
uh, sorry, the men's Bible study, or let's have a study personally where we lean into these things, where we can ask these questions and think through them together and see what the Bible actually says so that the hard issues are really coming out and that this person is truly ministered to where they're at, yeah. right? I mean, we, we welcome people where they are, but God's grace doesn't leave us where we are. We grow in him and he grows us. And this is going to be hypothetical for a lot of people because it quite is. honestly, um, that individual coming to the church is either going to be very sweet and ready to accept in many ways what the church is teaching, right. however rare or not rare that is. Or they'll never and come it, back and, and sue the church. And in that situation, they're typically, like we've had this happen with the LGBT community. Yeah, where we they, have they just understood. They understand. They're not trying to like be belligerent and, and arrogant and, and mean-spirited. Yep. They're just going, all right, I understand. I would disagree with you. But I, I understand that like you are more in this historic biblical vein of thinking that has been, you know, held to for centuries and we're more in a progressive while we still like they would say believe in the resurrected Christ and, you know, so the, the, and they've just kind of departed peacefully. Like yeah. that's that's what happens a lot when they come in and they're hostile right away, which has also happened. Yeah. They just don't come back. Yeah. It's not like I'm going to go to this lady's study and I don't care what you like. They just don't come back. Yeah. Like, you know, and so. Some of this is hypothetical. It's it's something rare when you find somebody who is wanting to truly learn and find community and friendship, and yet at the same time is belligerent and demeaning yeah. and I'm not going to listen to you and I'm not going to do this thing. Um, typically, they're going to be kind of in one vein or the other. And most, I would say, not because, not because once again, hopefully because of our, uh, we talked about it on a previous podcast about belief and behavior, these kind of two pillars of Christianity and our our behavior should be driven by our belief. I would say most of the LGBT community, which is, it's, it is weird that they all get put in together. You know, I, I've talked to homosexual transgenderism and they would even agree to a certain extent. But anyway, that community, I don't think they're going to be really comfortable in most biblically conservative churches because of belief, yeah. not because of behavior. Hopefully we're loving them and not affirming their that that identity, but loving them and caring for them and wanting to serve them and wanting to disciple them, wanting to instruct them. But at the same time, our beliefs, what we hold as dear, is so you know polarizing and opposite to what they hold as identity markers that it's gonna be very difficult. It'll be very difficult for me to go and sit under the opposite. You know, I mean, like, yeah. impossible. Yeah. Uh to center the opposite viewpoint here uh and to worship and right. to learn. Like right. this, you know, like yeah. it's not 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 gonna happen. That's gonna be very difficult as well. But I think so I think specifics to, you know, whether or not they come into a church, if you have a friend who is wrestling through this, I think with all these things, kind of understanding are they antagonistic and militants and evangelical in their approach to uh, transgenderism, like Adam said, you know, th that's a totally different case than someone who is truly struggling through that I'm a man, but I feel like I'm a woman trapped in a man's body. Like mm -hmm. I, I feel like that, or at least a combination of the two genders and being able to talk them through that and counsel them through and help them through that type of thing with the gospel vastly different. So as we get ready to wrap this up, is there anything else that you guys want to leave the people with when it comes to this topic? Any other advice on just working through this personally or with helping to counsel somebody they may know? I, I would just add, perhaps as a final word, that one thing that the transgender agenda does not often share is the horror stories of what happens when the surgery, yeah. the reassignment surgery has happened and the individual still is not feeling as they ought to feel. There are testimony after testimony of stories and people and from young to old. To me, the younger it gets, the more sad it gets, but testimonies need to be shared with people who are struggling like this. If you go down this road and you do this, the whole will still be there. You will not feel as you ought to feel, even if the parts you desire are present on you now. I can hear somebody saying, well, but to counteract that, what about all the people who have had it and they do feel fulfilled, mm -hmm. whatever. And I think what, what Adam's saying is 
that just needs to be part of the conversation. Right. Like that's not the right. linchpin. The linchpin is no. truth and the gospel. But right. I think that should be part of the conversation. Also, just to finalize something that Adam said earlier, we are all because we would say because of sin, we are all born with a hole within us and we attempt our entire life to fill that up. Yeah. Yeah. And single people will try to fill it up with marriage and then they realize, oh crap, I, I didn't fill it. And then they marry people try to fill it with divorce or an affair or new hobbies and interests. And we're always pursuing and never satisfied. Ecclesiastes clearly points that out for us. And so affirming that in anyone, it doesn't have to be a gender identity issue. Affirming that in anyone is a sad state that we think all of this triteness can fill up what is lacking in us. And only true, historic, Jesus-centered, God-glorifying Christianity can honestly fill that up. Yeah. It doesn't mean we're not going to struggle or suck right. or you know, right. um, feel the, the feelings of emptiness. But I think that that's really, I think you touched on that earlier. I think this is really like a summation of the argument of we're all dealing with that. We're all, I remember back way back, maybe season one, you said we're all born homesick. Um, we're mm. all born uh, yeah. with a yeah. uh, longing for home. I think it was the Harry, the Harry Potter episode, actually. <laughs> That's where, it. Where, um, <laughs> no, it's so weird. I just remember, but I'm like, I agree with that wholeheartedly that we are, that's why we seek fantasy literature, movies, The Last Kingdom you were talking about. Tolkien uh, said it. I think the quote is, we're, we're all born with an inner sense of exile, longing yes. to return home. Mm. Yes. And I think we try to deny that. Yeah. But I think if we can be really honest, there's a gaping wound that sin has created in all of us. And we try to find our way home through every other means than the only one that will provide that safe harbor which is the gospel. So Amen. anyway, um, that's it for today. If you have questions, you comments, feel free to shoot us in. Don't be mad at us. We're historic <laughs> Christians here. So I don't know what you were expecting, yes. but <laughs> that's it. Until next time. Thanks for listening to Out of Odds. If you enjoyed this episode, share it with your friends and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere you listen. Out of Oz is produced by Building 28 Church and Podcast Royale. You can find out more about this show and Building 28 by visiting outofozpodcast.com. New episodes drop every Monday, and you can get each one automatically by subscribing in your favorite podcast app.